this uh, this past week, um, I was at a I was at I was as a, I was serving as a chaplain for a retreat uh, in Abbeville for uh, for Echo. Um, it was a it was a beautiful experience, great time. Um, one of the one of the unique things um, about this organization and these retreats um, is that anytime uh, and, and I've been involved with them since I was in high school, um, both as a or as a high school student, as a college student, as a as a seminarian, and now as a priest, um, just helping out, and it's just a lot of really good stuff. Um, but one of the unique things that I've never seen in another tr- retreat uh, that I love about this this community was um, if there's somebody that's speaking or somebody that's kind of like helping run some of the sessions and things, if they have their family, like if they're married and they have kids or something, they invite them to come along. Um, so if you can imagine, uh, in the we're sitting in a classroom kind of setting and going through some really good stuff with theology of the body and prayer and, and just like just some beautiful stuff. But as that's going on, in the back of the room, you could hear like every now and then, like two little girls coloring and like two little sisters coloring and playing and like you might hear like the, the joking around or the laughing or like the babysitting kind of going on like, shh, be quiet. It's just always a lot of fun. Um, in the cafeteria, uh, so my, my experience this time, one thing that I just noticed was happening a lot. Um, it was lunchtime, cafeteria, right? Just like any other camp place, you know, you got the long picnic tables. Um, whether we were coming out of mass or coming out of a session or something like that, a lot of times I was getting held back. So when I would walk in for a meal, it was, it was a little bit late. Like the line had kind of already gone through and people had already kind of settled into their spots. So I remember walking into the cafeteria and having this, this situation happen a bunch. I walk out with my food, I'm looking around, and there's kind of no place to sit, right? Um, small groups are already formed, groups of friends are there, like people all kind of got their conversation started. Uh, and then I look over to one table, and it's all the kids, right? And that's the only table with space. And I see one of the little girls is like, come see father, and I'm like, oh, great, yeah, kitty table. I thought I graduated from this, you know? So, but it was great. It was like kids from like six years old to like 13 years old, some me being the maturity of about a nine-year-old, I fit right in. It was perfect. It was beautiful. And I, I, as I was sitting there and as I was joking around and asking the same questions to the kids and goofing off and being, and being silly and having fun with them, um, one of the things that just continued to remind, like I, I was continued to be reminded of is that kids are super, super persistent, right? Um, like whenever they, you pick up on a joke with a kid, they want that joke done over and over and over and over, right? Um, I, I'm the big guy. I'm a big guy. So like whenever a kid comes around and I pick them up and I goof off with them, if I pick one kid up, I got to pick all the kids up and I got to pick all the kids up all the time. So my arms are about to fall off, right? Um, I think of, there was, a, there was a, a couple, they're really good friends of mine. Um, we were at a barbecue one time and their little boy, I was goofing off with him and I looked at him and said, dude, you are like my best friend. And he looks at me straight face and he goes, you are not my friend. And I looked at him, I said, sorry, dude, we are best friends now. Like, we, like it was something, it was something. I was like, sorry, we're best friends. He goes, you are not my friend. And so for an hour and a half for the rest of that barbecue, that's all I heard from him. You're not my friend. Yes, I'm your friend. You are not my friend. Yes, I'm your friend. You are not my friend. Yeah, we've gone back and forth, back and forth. Until finally I looked at him and I said, you know what? No. I'm not your friend. And I kind of walked away. 30 seconds later, he walks up. He goes, Father. I said, what's up? He's like, I won't be your friend. <laughs> then I looked at his mom and I said, what sociopath are you raising right now? And, but anyway, 
It was just, a, it, it, kids, like, they have this, they have this persistence, they, they have this joy and this wonder that they just continue to play on with the joke over and over and over, right? I remember as a kid watching, like, the same movie, VHS tape, Rewind, D2, The Mighty Ducks. I could quote that movie because why? I watched it over and over and over and over. VHS was this tape thing, you had to rewind. Anyway, um, so, like, I remember, like, there's, there's something about being a kid and having this childlike wonder of just being able to enjoy something over and over and over as if it's new. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. There was, a, uh, there was an author in England, early 1900s. Uh, his name was G.K. Chesterton. Now, G.K. Chesterton, popular, you may have heard of him before. He had a... Um, the, the, thing, the thing that's always been really unique about Chesterton is that he's Catholic. Um, he, was raised, he was living in a Protestant country, but he's Catholic. Um, he has a really, really interesting wit about him. Like, he just is a... He's very, very witty, and he's very, very sharp, right? Um, he once said, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, because it's worth doing poorly before you can do it good. It's worth going through being bad at something to get good at it, right? Like, just a little sharp wit, twisting certain little things. Um, there was an essay contest that went on in the local newspaper, and they asked, like, some question of, like, what, uh, what's the biggest problem in the world today, or, or what's the biggest problems facing the world today? And he submitted an essay, and it won, and it was two words, and he said, I am. And what he was getting at is the stuff of the heart is the stuff, the problem of the world. So he, has a, he had a sharp wit. Well, he actually wrote in a book called Orthodoxy, he wrote something about this childlike wonder. And I, I think it's, it's particularly relevant as we go into today's feast of Corpus Christi. So bear with me, we're gonna, I'm going to read it. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. Fierce and free. They want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. Kids up, right? <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. Grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike, but it may be that God makes every daisy separately, but never gets tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, grown old and our Father is younger than we. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. We get tired. Not just physically tired from picking the kids up, right? But we get tired. Like after a while, you are not my friend becomes just a pain and like it's a, it's a headache that just forms right about my right eye, right? We get tired of the monotony of the same thing over and over and over. We get tired of the do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again, because we've grown old 
we've grown stale, and we're bored. You know, this, this isn't something new, though, because while, while Chesterton might have been writing this to a certain audience back, you know, some hundred years ago or so, um, this, this is actually what's going on in our gospel, I mean, in our first reading as well. It's, it's what plagued the Israelites the entire time they were in, in exile. Right? We know the story of the Israelites, right? Just a quick recap, right? The Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt. They, Moses sees a burning bush, right? God says, I want my people free. I want them to go and worship me. I want them to go and fulfill the Ten Commandments. I want them to go and fulfill the promises of the covenant, right? And, and they are in slavery. So Moses, in the person of Charleston Heston, right, walks up to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And he goes, okay. Ten plagues later, still saying, let my people go the whole way through. Finally, after the Passover, after the death of the firstborn of everything in Egypt, Pharaoh says, please get out. So Moses, they get the people, they, they get them together, they, they come together, and they start to go. And as they go, they go towards the Red Sea. And now Pharaoh says, uh, you know what? He's going to renege on his offer, and he says, no, 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 no. We're going to pull you back in. You're now my slaves again. So he goes after him. And now Moses finds himself Red Sea in front of him. Pharaoh's army behind him lifts up his arms. The Red Sea opens. He walks through. Egyptians are following. He gets to the other side, turns around, lifts his arms, and the Egyptians, they drown. That was the, that was the book of Exodus according to Father J.D., right? TM, right? Now we think about this though, where, where the Israelites are at that point. The Israelites are in freedom. They are, they are free from the rule of Pharaoh. That is awesome. They are out of slavery. That is awesome. And they turn around, and what is their grand prize? A desert in front of them. Just their people, just their families, just a couple of possessions. God leading them straight into a desert. Now they know there's a promised land at some point that God is going to give them, that He promised them, right? Promised land. He, they know they're going to end up in the promised land. They know they're going to end up in this place flowing with milk and honey and all of these wonderful promises and all these wonderful blessings. But right now, they are in a desert. And God says, well, we need to feed you, lest you die. And there's this miracle that happens. And that's what Moses is talking about in the book of Deuteronomy in our first reading, is that there's this miracle that's happening of the manna. So what manna was, is manna was this frost that, was, that would come out and it would... It would scatter across the ground. It would spread across the ground. And every morning, people would get up and they would go collect manna, which they could make bread. They could make little cakes out of, and that was enough to fill, to fill them, right? So it was bread from heaven that was giving, given that was filling them. Well, they, would call, they, they had to do it, but they also had to keep holy the Sabbath, right? They had to keep that day of God. They had to keep that day no work. So what they did was, is every day they would go out and they would collect just what they needed for the day. And if they tried to collect more, it would spoil except for the day before the Sabbath. They were supposed to collect two days' worth. And that was miraculously preserved so that they could eat even on the Sabbath. Then they would just continue the cycle. Now, if, if I'm living as, a, as an Israelite at that time, I'm probably sitting, wow, this is amazing. There's, there's this frost on the ground, and it's bread, and it's bread from hev heaven. This manna is being given. This manna is being manifested and given to us every single day. Wow, this is awesome. Day one, wow, this is awesome. Day two, wow, this is awesome. Day three, wow, this is awesome. Day four, can we get something else <laughs> like on the menu, please? Because we grow bored 
with monotony. We're not strong enough. We're not fierce and free like children. But oftentimes we're old and bored with monotony. There's a miracle that is happening in front of their face at, on, on a daily basis. And they miss it. Because they're bored with the monotony of it. Now when I read Scripture, a lot of times, uh, when I look back at, look at back at certain episodes and figures in Scripture, um, I, I tend to be a little bit more judgmental. Like, man, why, why didn't you just do the right thing? Right? Peter walking on water, and then he looks away, and he starts to sink, and it's like, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Dude, you're standing on water. This is amazing. What, what, what? Thinking, I would have done so much better. <laughs> right. Um, because quite honestly, if I look at the Israelites, it's really easy to think, like, look at what is being blessed in front of you. Look at what is happening every single day. But there's a challenge in there from God that, that He's only giving them one day's worth at a time. And you've got to trust me. And that challenge didn't just happen for a week or a day or a month. For 40 years, they were, they were called to be persistently trusting in God. I, I, may not been, I may not have been so... It may not have been so easy. <laughs> Maybe I'm not, I'm not right to be critical of them. Because the reality is, is holy bread, miraculous bread from heaven being given on a daily basis for the strengthening of God's people is exactly why we're gathered today. And how often, and I say this for me, like how often do I lackadaisically enter into the Mass? Because it's so easy to get bored with monotony and not approach it with a childlike wonder. You see what happens when we get bored with monotony? What, what happens when we, uh, we get tired of saying do it again and, and, and recognizing the giver of the gift and, and Mass becomes not about Jesus. <laughs> it becomes not a, it, it, Mass stops becoming about Jesus and about the sacrament, about Him giving Himself to us. Mass starts to become about other things. Mass starts to become about music. Or Mass starts to become about the aesthetics of a church. Or if the priest is going to use that stinky stuff that makes me cough. (laughs) Or Mass becomes about the homily. Or Mass becomes about where the priest is from, Raceland, Thibodeau, Uganda, China. The pigment of his skin as opposed to the person that we're coming to receive. Because we can get bored with the monotony of it. Because we're not fierce and free like children. Coming to our Heavenly Father just saying, do it again. God's like that. But we're sinful and old and bored. There's a, in, in our church today, um, and, I, and I don't say this to scare anyone. I don't say this to like put off 
you know, to, to put off any kind of sirens or anything. But in our church today, there is absolutely 100% a crisis that is happening. In 2019, there was, a, uh, there was a Pew Research poll that went out that asked a very simple question to Catholics and said, basically the question was, what do you believe about the Eucharist? 69% of Catholics answered by saying that it is a symbol. 69%, no, almost 70%, three quarters of Catholics, if you will, said that it is a symbol that we receive on Sunday. Now, the Eucharist is the central teaching of our church that God himself steps down, body, blood, soul, and divinity here on this altar, that what we heard in John 6 today of Jesus saying, I will feed you with my flesh. I will feed you with my blood. My flesh is true flesh. My blood is true drink. That what Jesus said he meant, because in a couple of verses, a bunch of people walk away and say, this is a hard teaching and we can't handle it and we can't accept it. And as they walk away, Jesus lets them go. He doesn't say, no, 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 y'all, I was kidding, I was kidding. Hey, come back, come back, come back. It was a symbol. You missed the symbolic language. Come back, come back, come see. He doesn't do that. They go. And then he looks at the apostles and said, what about you? And they stay. That Jesus meant what he said in the gospel today. And if he meant what he said in the gospel today, then the Eucharist is Jesus, and he's going to step down to meet you. And as we come to Mass, we're not coming because of music. We're not coming, even though Rita sings beautifully, right? We're not coming because of a homily, even though I'm going to talk too long. We're not coming because of the incense, even though it's going to be a lot of it, right? We're not coming because of any of these other things. We're coming for one reason and one reason only, and that's because Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, wants to be with his church, the bride. And to separate those would be evil would be broken. This is why we come to Mass. For no other reason. And if we as a church lose sight of that, then the church starts to deform. The church goes from being the bride of Christ to being nothing more than a list of rules, a political party, a... a, 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 a an NGO doing great work around the world for like charitable works for people. Becomes a bunch of old guys in funny clothes yelling at people at 9 o'clock at night. Sorry. <laughs> if we lose sight of why it is that we worship and who it is that we come to meet in the sacrament, then everything we do loses its meaning and gets deformed. So what's the challenge tonight? What's the challenge today as we come to Mass? That we would approach the altar with childlike wonder. Not like an old, bored person. That we would approach the Lord look, meet, coming to meet the person who wants to meet us. That we wouldn't come just because we need to check a box. Not, we, that, that we're not that we're coming so that um, uh, we, we can hear we can uh, we, we can make sure to tell my mom, hey, this is what the homily was about today, or, or satisfy my grandmother. 
all reasons why I used to go to Mass, right? <laughs> but that we come to Mass to meet the person of Christ. Who, in a few moments, is going to, who's going to achieve the same kind of miracle, but greater than what we heard in our first reading. That Jesus Himself is going to step down to meet you. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Humbly, in what looks like bread, tastes like bread, smells like bread, but is Jesus. Can we receive Him with a childlike wonder? Like, can we approach like a kid just saying, do it again. Please, do it again. Never growing tired. Never growing bored but fiercely and freely just asking, do it again. Do it again. I, I remember, um, I'll end with this, the 2020, the, the, the year of everything, right? Um, I, uh, we, 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 we had all the lockdowns and everything that started in March. We know that um, it, was, it was May. Uh, it was Mother's Day weekend when we got permission to do outside Masses. And I'll, I'll never forget this. I know Father Mitch basically turned outside Masses here into a science, right? It was awesome and beautiful, and I was kind of jealous when I would see pictures of what was going on uh, in the field in front. Um, but we had, we, we had, in my church, like we did one outside Mass, and I'll never forget this. Um, we, we set everything up, and everybody was, you know, spread out around the field, and we had speaker system, and... Um, and I'm outside, and I'm just fired up to have people around. The extrovert in me is like, woohoo, not in a closet with a camera, right? Like, I'm, I'm all excited. This is great. Um, so we're celebrating Mass, and it was beautiful, and it was an awesome day and everything. And I'm screaming, waking up people, and dogs are barking, and I don't care in the neighborhood, right? But, like, I remember we get to, we get to communion. And now, two months, people hadn't received communion. And, and, and one of our, one of my, the ladies that came to church every week and was at my mass, at one of my masses, and would sit like in the second row. And I could like, when I would preach, like she was one of my people I was eye contact with her a lot. You know, like I, I love this lady to death. I still remember it was she came up for communion, and I'm giving communion, and she was a couple of feet away, and when she bowed, she looked up, and tears are just pouring down her face, like we're, we're talking waterfall style. body of Christ, and she's choking to get the words out. Amen. Like, barely whisper. Amen. Because it's all she could do. And, and I'll never forget the feeling that I had when I gave her communion. That her, like, you could sense the feeling of relief. That she finally was able to receive Jesus again. Now, we don't, we don't need to cry every time we go to communion. But there's something about childlike wonder and reverence for who we're coming to receive. Re recognizing that it is so much more than a symbol. That this is not just a cracker and stale wine. But this is Jesus himself who's made a way to come and meet you in the sacrament to come and step down into your life today.
And like a kid, we can cry out to God and just say, do it again. May we never grow tired. May we never grow bored. Or may we never like lack reverence in recognizing that God is stepping down to meet you in the sacrament. May we fiercely and freely approach the Lord tonight with that childlike wonder.